I'm just talking, babbling. This is what you came here for, isn't it? Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of So I Got My BFA, dot dot dot. My name is Kelsey McFall and I am the host of this podcast. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back to listen to me babble for another hour. You guys already know what's going to happen. If you are new, thank you for clicking on this episode and welcome to my podcast family. This is a, a show where I basically just babble on about things that I feel justified to talk about and qualified to talk about because I recently graduated with my BFA in musical theater. It's a fun time. We talk about a musical. We talk about my weekly obsessions and then I I play a game and give you some advice at the end of the podcast. So it's a great time. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And let's go ahead and get into the podcast. Guys, what a week this has been. Um, It has gone from stress to joy to back to stress. And it's just been a whirlwind of things going on in the world, but also in my life as well. Um, As you guys know, I recently moved back to New York City, so I am in um, the midst of searching for a full-time job while I'm waiting for, you know, theater to get back on on its feet. It's been it's been kind of stressful. I have been here alone. My roommate was actually supposed to get back today, but because Miss Corona is still out there trying to do her best, um, she has been delayed a couple more days until she can get a uh, COVID test. So she's allowed to, she has to have that to leave the state that she's currently in. So I have been alone, which has been, you know, when you, when you're alone for two weeks, it gets kind of sad. Um, and you just kind of fall into this like cycle of I'm not, I'm just alone and I'm not doing anything, but um, she's going to be here within the next day or two. So I'm very, she might even be here by the time this podcast is out. Who knows? But I'm very excited for her to get here. I'm going to rope her into um, possibly doing a couple of episodes and being a co-host on this podcast. So I'm really excited about that. Genevieve, hi, if you're listening, watch out for that. <laughs> um, yeah, but this week has just been so crazy. I I feel like I've, I have gotten into like a new swing of things. I finally become comfortable with singing in my apartment too much to the dismay of my neighbors. Um, I do feel bad for them on that account. But you know, it's New York City. Uh, We're in a global pandemic. Practice rooms aren't open right now. And sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. You know what I'm saying? So um, I have um, been uh, trying to make the best of my uh, quarantine time here in New York. And I have been playing uh, a bunch of games with people from college. We have game nights every once in a while, but like the biggest one thus far has been Among Us. And if you know, you know that that is like the, the big game that's happening right now. Um, and it was just, it's just so fun. Every time we get to play together, we, we get on a Zoom call and it's, it's good to see their faces. And um, what else have I been doing this week? Oh, you know what? Some, some things have been popping up on my YouTube and uh, this is actually going to lead into my weekly obsessions. But one of the things that I have to talk about because I can't believe it happened. But um, one of the things that popped up on my um, suggested YouTube feeds is uh, the search for the uh, 20th anniversary of Annie. Um, it was it's, it's just a, a documentation of their journey of finding a little girl to play Annie in the 1997 revival of Annie. And so I'm watching and I'm like, oh, this is cute. Like all the, all these, all of these little kids who have way more talent than I do 
um, at the age of seven, <laughs> which is really fantastic. And so I'm just watching it. Um, we get to the very last take of the documentary and Annie is coming down the stairs and who do I see in the background but Miss Sutton Foster herself, probably like 20 years old in a maid's outfit. Like that was just so crazy to see. I mean, it obviously like it was on her for like maybe two seconds. I just happened to recognize her because it was the Annie was like coming down the stairs to take her bow and it was like going to be her final shot of the uh, documentary. And I just... I paused it and I was like, that's not her. Because I totally forgot that she was even in that. But she was. She was in the ensemble and she was also featured as the star to be in that revival of Annie. And I just can't even believe that it was just so shocking to see her pre-Sutton Foster. You know, like she was in the background in the ensemble and, you know, didn't have a name yet. It was just, it was it was really cool to, um, to just see her for like, even like a glimpse. Uh, I wasn't expect. I did not click on that expecting to see her. I was, I clicked on it expecting to watch a bunch of, you know, seven to 12 year old girls belting tomorrow in my face because why wouldn't I want that? Um, but I don't know, that was just, it was, it was really cool to see, you know, where she started. And so saying that, now we're going to get into my obsessions of the week. I have hashtag cut out the jingle because um, it was dumb. And <laughs> these segments will all have new names at one point, I'm sure, because if you've noticed, I have my weekly obsessions, musical of the week, game of the week, advice column of the week. We get it, Kelsey. It's all happening in one week. You don't have to put week in front of all of them, but it's fine. They will all have new names. Eventually, at one point in my life, if this podcast becomes super successful, um, I will have jingles for them, because why not? For now, the weekly obsessions. This week's weekly obsession is a little bit different from the ones in the past, because I'm only going to be talking about one thing, because I want to have a conversation about it. It's something that I did happen upon this week and was obsessively watching, but not necessarily something that I would recommend for everyone to go watch, but I just want to talk about it. So this week's weekly obsession is MTV's Legally Blonde, The Search for Elle Woods reality TV show competition. Guys, I have so many thoughts on this. I literally, I don't know how I ended up in this spiral of YouTube videos about Legally Blonde. Well, I take that back. I do know why, because after last week when I talked about it, I just went on like a Legally Blonde kick. I, I all of a sudden had to sing every single song from the show in my tiny apartment room, which to d the dismay of all of my neighbors, they had to hear me do that. Um, sorry, but I, so I had Legally Blonde on my search history a lot. And then this came up, and I didn't realize that the entire series was on YouTube. I thought only a couple episodes were, but the entire series is on YouTube. So, of course, I had to sit down and I had to watch it because this is an iconic thing that happened about 10-ish years ago in the, mu in the musical theater world. Um, so, of course, I had to sit down and watch it. Guys, this show... It's just, I feel like it's just such a bad representation of the audition process. Okay, so it's MTV. So really, the only thing they're looking for is drama and girls getting into fight and people throwing things at each other and getting into arguments over literally nothing. And that's just not the way that it is 
in, in the Broadway world, we're taught to be kind to one another because you never know when you're going to work with the person sitting next to you. And although it's a competitive business, it's still like you're going to see the people that you're auditioning with at the next 5 to 10 to 20 to however many auditions you're going to have in the future. So you're taught to be respectful to them and you're taught to be nice. And that's just, I feel like MTV, they chose the wrong genre to exploit, I, I think. And also just some of the things that they were making these girls do, it was like, I mean, they were dancing on the cobblestone streets of New York City in stiletto pink heels in like the 23 degree weather in February in New York. Like that's just like, you would never do that in, in a Broadway audition. I will be completely uh, open with you guys. I've never actually auditioned for a Broadway musical. I was hoping to after I graduated, but Miss Corona said, hold on girl, you gotta wait a little bit longer. But I mean, I've never gone through that audition process, but I do know for a fact that what the show was portraying as an audition for a Broadway musical is just not, that's just not the case. I mean, no one is forcing you to be on a bike for eight hours belting at the top of your lungs. And that's another thing I wanna talk about is how damaging was this show to all of those girls like voices I mean Elle Woods is a big belt as it is I have some of this information because they did a reunion zoom over quarantine and so of course I had to watch that after I watched the entire series and and they said that they were they just had to constantly do it because they needed several takes and no one I mean Seth Fredinsky was there like teaching in the songs but no one was really vocally helping them and back then I mean everyone like I didn't hear a mix in the crowd like everyone was full chest belting the entire time and the fact that they had to do it so many times was just like that's damaging to your voice I mean luckily a lot of them are pretty successful right now I mean like Lena Hall was on the show which is crazy and a lot of them have Broadway careers now, which is great for them, but I just can't even imagine like what their voices were going through on this show. Crazy to me. And I, I don't know. I, I, and on the reunion show, like, because Bernie Telsey was one of the judges. And if you, if you know, if you know, you know, he is one of the biggest casting directors and runs one of the biggest casting uh, companies in New York City. I mean, he, his company cast most Broadway shows out there and a lot of the tours and he's just a really really big name and so he even said that he was coming into this and he's like this is not how we conduct business um it was the the, the MTV uh, producers and the three of us judges were clashing a lot and like that makes a lot of sense because it, musical theater and MTV drama just don't really mix I feel like even if even if you stick 10 girls who are competing for the dream role of a lifetime in a room together like you're still not going to get a lot of drama because first of all there's no alcohol involved basically because none of these these girls are singing and dancing every day and they're you know they're, that's the last thing on their mind so it's not even like a typical like MTV drama show where like everyone's like drunk all of the time and that's where most of the drama comes from and then like the focus like these girls are focused like this is their their dream role and they're not gonna they're not about to like worry about starting drama for producers just because they want to make good television no they're seriously competing for a role of a lifetime and the focus that it takes is just insurmountable so I just I don't know I think that the whole idea of the show in itself was just I don't know overplayed and overthought and probably shouldn't have been a thing in the first place I think it would be cool to document a true authentic audition process for 
the leading role of a Broadway show and how it, it shows from like, you know, the first call to all of the cuts and then you get to the callbacks and then you have another callback and then you have a, a dance call and then you, you know, you have your final callback and you like, you know, it kind of deteriorates and you find your person from then on in a true authentic way. And I just don't know. I don't even know if it made for good television, to be completely honest. Um, I enjoyed watching it because I enjoy musical theater and I... It was fun. It was Legally Blonde. Um, and a bunch of blonde girls, you know, just like trying to be the best Elle Woods. That's entertaining to me, but to a normal, like, typical MTV viewer, maybe not so much because the drama, not really there. And they tried so hard. That's the other thing. Like, they did some of these girls really dirty. Cassie S., for example. Um, so there's this episode where they are on a spin bike for who knows how long they've been there and they are belting like what you want but they're also they've also been taught the harmonies of each one too and they just show this one clip of Cassie S and she's singing it's very obvious that she is not singing the melody of the song and if you know the harmonies of what you want which i have because i was Margot in league with Lon once upon a time in my life you like you know that what she was singing in that moment was a harmony and for some reason, the producers cut it out to made it, and it made it seem like she was the only one singing it. And that was her version of what the melody was supposed to be. And they put it next to all of the other girls, just like belting their guts, belting the melody out um, on this bike. And it just they just painted her in such a bad light. And I mean, she's gone on. She, I mean, clearly the girl can sing. She has been in Matilda and Rock of Ages since then on Broadway, like obviously the girl has a voice so they were just literally pulling at straws and like making things up and it was very evident that they were trying to mash and put together all of these like dramatic any dramatic clip that they could actually get and put it into a tv show and so I don't know if I would necessarily recommend this I I wouldn't say I'm definitely would not sit here and say watch this if you're trying to get the, an idea of what a audition for a Broadway musical is like like, that's just, it's just not the case. No one is enforcing you to be on spin bikes for nine hours, belting your guts out over and over and over again. And then the next day, taking you outside in 23 degree, degree weather and forcing you to dance on cobblestones. Like, that is just not what happens. So I wouldn't even necessarily say that I recommend this to people who are aspiring and looking for tips of the trade of how to audition for Broadway, because that's just not how it works. Would, would I say watch it if you are a fan of musical theater and you're looking for some, you know, just like quarantine entertainment and you're just looking for something silly to watch and you think that that process is cool? Go ahead, watch it. It, it is, it is, it's an iconic show because of how ridiculous it is. But as far as portraying what I mean, I think to be an actual Broadway audition would be like that, I would say that it does not capture that quite in the best light. But regardless, it was kind of fun to come back and watch the reunion show and see where all the girls were at because a lot of the girls that didn't win the show are actually, they're really successful right now, whereas the girl who won the show, Bailey, um, she is now a hairdresser in South Carolina. And that's really interesting too because she, I mean, the entire show, she was like, this is my dream. That's the only thing I've ever wanted was to be on Broadway and specifically to be Elle Woods on Broadway. Like I like I wouldn't want anything else. And then she got, she got her dream and then she said, all right, I've done it and now I'm going to go live the rest of my life. And I mean, that's super interesting to me because I know that, I mean, my dream is to be on Broadway and I don't think that if I achieved that, that I would, would ever think about 
about stopping. Like I would just want to do more and more and more, but that's just where I'm at. So it's interesting to see like where everyone's mindsets are and and how people chose to go on with their lives after the show and it was just really cool to see although it was all kind of like put on and not really authentic it was cool to see like the perspective of the casting directors and the judging panel and what they had to say the feedback they had to give to the girls because I will say that some of it I mean most of it was like authentic feedback like first of all you have to embody the role and you have to be able to sing the role and you you have to be able to sing act and dance if you're going to play at all woods and a lot of the their feedback was was really cool to watch from the perspective of someone who was auditioning but like you did have to take it all with a grain of salt because you don't really get that that type of heightened feedback in the real world but I don't know that's just the thing that has consumed my week I haven't really done much else besides the musical that I'm about to talk about in a couple minutes but um, other than that, it's been it's been a very chill week. So that's really all I all I had to talk about this week. But I'm glad that I watched it, and I'm glad that I was able to talk about it on on my podcast because I don't know, it's just something that I wanted to to talk about and express my feelings about, and um, you know, just a an iconic MTV Legally Blonde search for Elle Woods. <laughs> go check it out if you want. If not, you don't have to waste your time. But if you've got time to kill, go go check it out. It's fun and it's uh, silly and crazy and any ev- everything you want in an MTV show, I guess. <laughs> um, all right, guys. That concludes the Weekly Obsessions. So now we're going to move on to the musical of the week. Guys, guys, I have done it. I watched Ragtime this week. And um, I gotta say, I am highly disappointed in myself that I am now 23 years old, and this is the first time I've ever seen it, and this is the first time I'm able to um, express my feelings about it, because this show is so important to watch. And it's actually, you know what, I think it's important that I'm watching it in 2020 as well, because, I mean, you watch the show, and it's just so much of the stuff that happens in this show that is set in 1906 is still relevant in today's society. And that is important to note and also really, really sad. But just an overall analysis of the musical, breathtaking. It is such a beautiful storyline and just seeing the three different families and the merging of the three different lifestyles and cultural backgrounds and ways of living the way they merged it all together was just so smart this musical is is honestly unlike one I've seen in a really really long time so now that I've given my overview on it let's go ahead and get into it and you guys know we're gonna start with the wikipedia synopsis so let's go ahead and get right into that Set in the early 20th century, Ragtime tells the story of three groups in the United States, African-Americans represented by Cole House Walker Jr., a Harlem musician, upper-classites represented by Mother, the matriarch of the white upper-class family in New Rochelle, New York, and Eastern European immigrants represented by Tate, a Jewish immigrant. Hmm. Well, I I don't think that it did as well as uh, Legally Blonde did in describing the musical. Is that what the musical covers? That I would say that that is a very good, basic, rough draft of an outline as to what this musical is actually about. It's, it basically just said, 
it's this musical talks about these three different groups lives okay <laughs> um, there's so much more it's so much richer um, and we're gonna get into this I was trying to figure out when this was set because um, it says it's set in the early 20th century so what does that mean like that could be from 1900 to like 19 I mean uh, when you watch the musical you can kind of tell by the the costumes and uh the way it goes about that it's it's definitely like around the 1910s but I was like when is this musical set and then I went back and listened to the prologue again and it says that it's in 1906 about four times so <laughs> yeah so it's set in 1906 and so this is post-civil war but before segregation was completely abolished in 1964 I believe history buff that's me <laughs> um so first off, let's just talk about the score of this musical. Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty have done it again. This score is impeccable. It's absolutely exhilarating to listen to. The, you know, the power ballads at the end, the 11 o'clock number, to the fun, um, jazzy dance numbers. And it's just like everything... It's so smart the way they have written the orchestrations of this show. Take the prologue, for example. All three of these groups are singing about ragtime, which is the music of, you know, the 1910s, I guess. <laughs> and they're all singing about it in their own different sophisticated ways, right? So you have the upper class silhouettes, very um, poised tableaus, and very staccato in their singing. Everything is precise and noted, and everything is just like on beat. And then when the African-American group comes in, everything gets a little more swingy and jazzy. And and then when the immigrants come in, it's, 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 it's just a completely different vibe, but it's all under the same umbrella of ragtime. And I just think that the way that they were able to portray the three different groups with these three different styles of ragtime is just, it was just such a, a cool experience. And I mean, they're so good. I, other works that they've done, uh, Once on this Island, amazing. Anastasia, impeccable. Uh, I mean, even Susicle, gosh, like, you know, like they, they're so good. Here's the thing that they're good at. They're so good at creating the environment of the show within the orchestration of the book. All right, so let's just dive into the show. I'm really excited to talk about it, and um, I just hope that I can, can do it justice. Okay, so let's just start with the prologue. This opening tableau, the moment I, I started the, the show, it just put me back in this old-timey Broadway. Not even old-timey, but like, what was this, 1998? So like that era of Broadway that was just so fantastic. And really what I think of when I think of true Broadway art, like it just, it had it has everything from power ballads to big dance numbers and this huge ensemble that creates the atmosphere of the show. And it's just, it's just fantastic. And I really wish that Broadway would get back to its roots on that point. Um, but we'll talk about that later. Don't even worry about it. But I just thought that the, the opening was so cool. I mean, I think I already talked about this, but the, just the three different groups and how it showed where each group was at. And then, oh my gosh, the circles 
that really reminded me of something that we did in uh, my creative ensemble class where we formed like a group and then another group would form a group and it was just like a you cannot veer from the path basically like everyone is meant to be where they're meant to be and you, you can't step outside of the social norm and what is expected of you and that that whole moment of just you know the upper class whites staring down the African-American group and then the immigrant group coming in and it was just and I have so I have so many thoughts about this like it was just so so cool and creative and such good storytelling but the the fact that the little boy was out of it and he was just watching it and at one point he like covered his eyes or his ears I don't remember but he was just like it, it, it looked like he was trying to say enough of this enough of all of this like separation like can't we just all get along? And I don't want to watch this. I wish that we were all just, you know, equal and we could just go about our days as people. That is what I interpreted that moment as. And I think that that was a really good moment in what one of the biggest themes in this musical that I I personally believe is, is that the children are our future and they're going to help America and the world you know, become a better place where everyone is equal and everyone can get along and work together and there is no division between the different groups. And that's what that's what that moment really set up for me is that all of the adults are very standoffish and the kid is like, I don't understand, like, I, can't we just like, it's just that naivete and progressive thinking that children really do have. Um, but I just think that that was that set up such a such a good opening to set up the rest of the show. Um, and I was a little bit nervous at the very beginning of the show when all of the characters started coming up and explaining who they were and uh, what their position was, and they were all speaking in third person. And it, I was like, oh my gosh, there are so many characters. I don't know how I'm going to keep up with this. I don't know how I'm going to form a dream cast for all of these characters. We'll get to that later. But it became very clear as to which characters were the most important that I really needed to focus on and how every every character was going to make its way in the show. And um, so <laughs> I just got very anxious at first because I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many characters. I don't know how I'm going to keep up with them. Oh, Audra McDonald came on stage. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. She's, I mean, guys, she's so, so good. She had one big song in the show and was... She, she came back for the second act a little bit for, for like one other song, but literally was maybe in about, let's say, 15 minutes of the show in total. And she won a Tony Award. And I have no doubt that she deserved it because of that one singular number, Your Daddy's Son. I mean, the, the power behind that woman's voice and her acting I mean, I mean, having that voice is one thing, but being able to be the actress that she is along with that voice, it's impeccable. It's so thrilling to watch. I don't normally cry, especially when I'm watching things not in real time and it's, it's you know, it's on a, a screen and I'm, def- I'm just not one to get emotional, but I was in tears. It, 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 the song was like two minutes long. And it just took me away. Like she, she has the ability to take you on an emotional journey just with her voice. 
and just in the stillness of everything that she does. She's so incredible. I mean, it's very obvious why she is the most Tony Award-winning actress. I mean, she's she's just impeccable. And then Marin Maisie, too. Come on. I mean, this cast, I don't want... Like, I have a dream cast, but I don't want to change this cast. This cast was, I mean, beautifully chosen. Like, outstanding all-star cast in this show right here. And I don't think that this musical won Best Musical when it was nominated. When was, So this would have been 1998 Tonys, and I think who won that year? Not Titanic, because that was 1997. I know that, because that's when I was born. Was it The Lion King? Did the... Oh, The Lion King beat this for Best Musical? Okay, here's the thing. The Lion King is great, and the puppetry... And the artistry shown throughout that show is amazing. And of course, we all love the story. But I have some questions for um, people who voted for The Lion King over this. I have a few questions. I also have some questions for the, for the people who um, decided that Avenue Q should win over Wicked. But that's a whole other story, and we'll get to that at a later date. Okay, another thing that I really love about this musical is the growth that we see in the mother character. I was a little bit worried about her when her husband went away on a North Pole expedition. I don't know what he was doing up there, but I was a little worried about her because she literally, it felt like she didn't know how to function or how to live her life without him by her side. And I was like, girl, get it together. And then all of a sudden, it just jumps to she finds a a baby in her garden Let's talk about this storyline for just a second. I'm just going to veer off of what I was going to say for just one second. I don't understand this storyline, really. I feel like there was a better way to go about um, her taking in Sarah and her child than her just finding a baby half buried alive in her garden. Like, first of all, I have a question. Why did Sarah bury the baby in her garden and second of all why did Sarah I mean why why was that the means of getting rid of the baby why was Sarah running away from Cole House there's a lot of questions that I'm gonna get to later but regardless this plot didn't entirely make sense to me um this was one of the flaws but let's get back to the mother character so she finds the baby and she's she's like I don't know what to do with this I don't because my husband isn't here to tell me what to do and I'm like girl this is the time for you to make your own decisions. And then that's exactly what she does. She makes a decision to take the child and Sarah in and basically, you know, watch out for them and take care of them. And she just goes on that journey from there. Like, I mean, the first time she's had to do something without her husband's approval, I think just brings her a lot of power and a lot of independence that she has not been able to access for all these years because she hasn't been able to veer off of the path of anything that her husband has not been trying to control her on. And I think that that is a really good moment for her. And then, of course, as we see her storyline play through and we get to the very end of the show and she sings, I can never go back to before. Like, yeah, girl, you can't because 
you have gained, she's just gained so much independence and so much solidarity away from her husband that she can't go back to just bowing down to everything that he says and going along with his decisions because she has found her independence and she's found the person that she is and wants to be in life. And I just think that that growth moment for her as a character is, it's it's impeccable storyline for her specifically. And I'm just... I, I don't know. I cried again. Like, I, it's just, I, I cried a lot during this musical. It was just, I mean, it's so empowering and it's so moving. I mean, you have all of these different storylines that are meshing together and coming and ebbing and flowing in such different ways that it's hard to not become attached to these characters and uh, want to see them succeed and want, you know, what's best for each and every character, especially at such heightened situations in which especially the african-american characters are in this show specifically so let's go back let's backtrack back to um where we are in the show okay yeah so now we're back at the the baby storyline again i wrote in my notes i said the storyline just moved really really fast that i almost couldn't process what was happening um i mean she's just gardening and she finds a child in her backyard and then decides to take him in without asking questions and taking the mother as well i wish that that had a little more focus on it and we got a little we got some more answers as to what happened and where where was the storyline planning on going if if things had gone in a different way i just wish that 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 specific plotline was focused on just a little bit more. But I know that there's a lot more plotline to come, so I understand why they have to keep things short and concise in musicals. So I do get that. Um, oh, the next moment was so cool with uh, the immigrants. Um, I don't remember what song it was, but it was when they they were basically first arriving in America, and it was all of the gates, and they got through one gate, and then they had they got uh, they entered that gate, and then they got to another one, and then they were shut down again and then they got to another one and another one and eventually they made it to the promised land but it was just so uh intriguing moment to witness all of the gates that they had to to pass and all the hoops that they had to jump through just to make it to America and get into the country and become you know citizens and it was just such a surreal moment and it's it's you know you think about it now and it's it's so hard for people to come into this country. It was just a very, very telling moment. That's why I really think that this show needs to be revived sometime very, very soon, because I think it's, it would be so interesting to, for someone to go in and watch it and realize how much of the stuff that's happening in this show, which is set in 1906, that's still happening today. And some of the the issues and the, the social injustices that were still that are still occurring in 2020, and it, it, I mean, I don't think that anyone ever thought back then that like we would not have been able to progress past this almost or over a hundred years later. It's just so it, it's just, the show is so important to just to just show everyone watching it that we're still facing some of these issues today, but. Going back to the show. Okay, so he finally gets through the gates. And now he's preaching to his daughter this idea of the American dream. You come to America and you come here to find success and be successful for your family. And your family is going to strive because this is America, home of the brave, land of the free. 
you know, this is this idea of the American dream that all of these immigrants come here to achieve. I literally wrote in my notes, I was like, oh no, something's going to go wrong. <laughs> like this is not going to turn out because that's how I feel like that's the, the storyline of, of a lot of people who come over here to achieve the American dream. And then they find out that they have to jump through a million hoops to even, you know, get started. And that's basically what happens throughout this this song that he's singing to his daughter he's like this is the best country this is where this is what dreams are made of this is where we're going to finally be able to start our lives and I'm going to be able to take care of you and he has a really really hard time at the beginning because this it's it's not like it's not you don't just come over here and you know things happen for you it's a lot of it's a lot of steps and that there's a lot of work that you have to to do and you have realizations from the moment that you start and and they're not necessarily the ideas that you thought were going to happen and I think the whole uh there's a moment where JP Morgan is standing on a bridge and he just the bridge comes down and basically just crushes all of the immigrants working on Wall Street into like this tiny little box and he it's just it's just so like that was some good symbolism right there it was it was just so telling of went on in america in 1906 ooh when when the song ends and he's obviously like he's down in the dumps and not doing as well and the guy oh my gosh this guy who he thinks is trying to buy one of his pictures is trying to buy his little girl i my jaw dropped i was like He's, he is not about to sell his little girl right now. And then, of course, like a second later, he punches the guy in the face and gets into this really big fight with him. And, you know, the police have to, you know, tear him off of him. But like just the just the fact that that was even like that that even had to be a plot line is just so sickening. Honestly, it's just it's just so sad. Like the fact that I mean, he didn't do it, obviously. And obviously, that was the last thing that he would ever do. But the fact that the matter is that people did have to do that. And people did do it. And that's just so sad. My next note after that is, I am very much enjoying it up to this point. I gotta be honest. I I was, I started watching this last night around um, 11 p.m. Because that's when I tend to do things and be most productive. But I was planning on stopping at uh, about an hour in. Or maybe even like the first act in. And I could not shut my computer. I needed to know what was going to happen. It was just so intense. It was just so breathtaking to watch and encapsulating and just could not could not look away. I really couldn't. And then just to segue into this moment, um, getting ready rag was just, oh my gosh, such a great, great number. It really reminded me of, I don't know, Too Darn Hot from Kiss Me Kate. And like, Musical numbers like that where, like, they don't necessarily move the plot along, but they're there to just bring, reel the audience in and and give them that real fun-loving good time that an audience back in the day came to see a musical for. And it was just, like, the big production number. Like, everyone, like, it was a huge dance number. Everyone was dancing. It was just fun totally brought in the the theme of ragtime obviously and it was just such a great number the ensemble really created the environment and honestly the atmosphere of the whole show that's what i loved about older musicals is that the ensemble was what 
you know, made the show. Like there was no show without the ensemble. Yeah, it was just such a such great song. I love how he buys a a Ford car. I, I don't even know like why this was a part of the, the plot line, but um it's just like that was his like his big achievement that he gets this car, which is really really, really cool and does come into play later on in the musical. But um if that was I don't know, just to wrap up that whole, you know, getting ready rag, like I'm cool and like very swingy type of song I just think that pulled it in really really well the next part of the show oh is nothing like the city which was a really cool perspective because we had the perspective of the immigrant and his daughter who he was having issues trying to provide for and then we have the very uppity upper class white family of the mother and her son but again it's just like showing that children are the future like they They don't, the little boy did not look at her and say, oh, she's an immigrant. Like, I can't, I can't be friends with her. And she didn't look at him like, oh, he's uppity, white, upper class. Like, I, I can't speak to him. They were like, no, why is he looking at me? He's a boy. Why is she looking at me? She's a girl. Like, it was just very, like, innocent and naive and um, just a, just a cool moment to see the children's interactions. And then, of course, the mother and the immigrants interaction as well. But yeah, a really good moment in the show to set up those two different class systems and, um, you know, just the just the merging of them, which is eventually what we're going to get to in in the show. And then we get to this just awful, horrible part of the show where Cole House drives up and meets this what they called in the show a racist squad. And just watching that whole interaction is just absolutely disgusting. Like it's it's just so horrible to to know that this is based off of real life and this is how you know African Americans were treated back then and it's you know it's kind of awful to think that it still happens nowadays it's it's not kind of awful it actually is really really completely terrible that we're still having issues like this but I mean that whole moment in the show was just very telling of where they were at in Uh, life in 1906 with um, blacks and whites and where everyone like where where people stood as far as um, being treated with equality and um, with the you know human rights and and stuff like that and it's just oh I hated that part of the show (sighs) but boy did this part make up for it Audra McDonald coming on I've already talked about it but your daddy's son, I mean, just such an impeccable moment. I have decided that I'm no longer going to tell you guys my favorite part and my least favorite part of the show at the end of these because I kind of talk about them as I talk about the musicals. But instead, I'm going to give my gold star Tony Award winning moment of the show. And this is it. I mean, this is the number that actually won Audra the Tony. I mean, she didn't do a whole lot else in the show. She was in, like, one other song and and then in Act 2, like, she had a moment. I want to say this is one of the best performances I have ever seen. Literally a two-minute song, if even that. The raw emotion and just vulnerability that she was able to portray in this very simple just small moment of the show it told her it told you her entire story like all of that plot that I was missing came through in this one singular moment and that is just a testament to how strong of an actress 
Audra McDonald is. And Tony Award winning gold star moment of the show, your daddy's son. Like, <laughs> literally in my notes, it says, out of nowhere, I'm bawling. Oh, I said, I buried my heart in the ground when I buried you in the ground. Oh my God, Tony, the voice on this woman is simply unmatched. And then under that, of course, I wrote, this cast is literally all-star because, I mean, put put her with um, Marin Maisie and Brian Stokes Mitchell, like, come on, like, you cannot go wrong with this show. It's just so incredible and really, it's just amazing. Um, <laughs> my next note is, Man, Edgar really do be a blabbermouth, huh? I'm telling you, when I'm writing notes as I'm watching the show, it's literally like, I make no sense. Half of these words are misspelled because I'm trying to not look at the keyboard and watch, or, and type at the same time because I'm so like enthralled in the musical that I'm watching in front of me that I don't want to be taking notes, but I have to take notes because I have to remember things. But and it's just, it's very much my voice. Um, and the way that I would be speaking if I were basically talking during a musical. And uh, it's just so some of my notes are really funny. When Cole House comes over and is like, is there a woman by the name of Sarah here? And Edgar's like, yeah, she lives upstairs. And Mother's like, bro, we weren't going to tell him that. We don't even know this dude. <laughs> um, and then he's like, also, this is her baby. And Cole House is like, oh, that's her. Oh, that's her baby. Oh, interesting. So that's my baby. Obviously, he makes that realization. And I didn't really understand this storyline until I went back and looked at the lyrics of Your Daddy's Son, because when you're so in the moment of watching Audra perform that song, you don't really catch all the lyrics um, because you're just like moved by the beautiful melody and the powerful emotion that you're watching. So I went back and looked at the lyrics to see if it told the plot a little bit more of why she's so reluctant to see Cole House again and why um, he's not really let allowed into the house. And so it makes sense because um, he kind of, you know, like left her and, and wasn't, wasn't ready to be a father. And she certainly wasn't ready to be a mother. Obviously, she buried the child in a garden. Okay, and then so obviously Cole House comes back every week and tries again and again. And then he starts playing the ragtime music. And in the midst of this, father comes back in and he's like, what the heck? There's a child in this house. And also, who is he? And this is the first time we really see where Mother is truly a changed woman because she wasn't having to live under the restriction of her husband for so long, for as long as he was away. And so she was able to make her own decisions and she doesn't need him to tell her what to do all the time. And so she's like, no, we're going to keep this child and Sarah is going to stay. And also this is Cole House and you're going to get used to it. Obviously the father has some racist tendencies. He is obviously not very okay with African-Americans being in his house and for his wife to be raising an African-American child at the time. I, I don't I don't know what to say about that other than um, be better. Be better, Father. And so moving on, we have Cole House and Sarah. They reunite. I literally said, I'm a little bit confused about this relationship because he got her pregnant and then she didn't want to ever see him again. And then she came down and now they're in love and they're going to get married. And it was just a, it was a lot of plot really fast. It was like the same thing of the storyline earlier where it was just like there was too much holes in the plot that I wasn't really fully understanding the relationships of all of the characters at that moment in time. That is one thing I would say throughout that is 
you know, pretty consistent throughout the show is that there are a lot of characters that I don't necessarily think that their relationships are always brought to light uh, in the best possible way because a lot of things are left out um, and we don't really get to see the full nature of their true relationship. But that's, I mean, that's what happens when you have a, a big story to tell and you only have two and a half hours to do it. So I understand why. Let's see, what is next? Oh, they sing Wheels of a Dream and it's just this beautiful song about the, the dreams that they have for their child and what the life that he's going to grow into and the world that he's going to grow up in and how things are going to change and how, uh, you know, things are going to be better for their child than they were for themselves. And it's just a really, really awesome song, really powerful song as well. I think maybe one of the most powerful in the show. There are a lot of powerful songs in the show, but this one is definitely up there. I said, you better sing. I love how everything in this musical, it just appears so cinematic. It's just like everything, every detail, all of the set pieces, all of the ensemble members working together. And then like the songs just like bleed into each other. Everything just works so perfectly that it's almost this just huge cinematic story that you're watching unveil in front of you. It's just, it's again, that old school musical theater just brilliantly done and I wish we would go back to it all right and then we get to the song called Emma Golden spoke at Union Square and this is the part in the show where the younger brother um has a bit of a change of mindset around the ongoings of the world and I while I don't think it's a huge point in the show I do think it's important that we do see that character development in him for what is to come later on in the show I said why is there no dialogue for this little girl which first of all let's talk about for a second is Leah Michelle which is so weird like I mean I yes I did know she was in ragtime for some reason I thought that she was just in the ensemble um because obviously I didn't know what the show was but um just really weird to see her as a child but anyway moving on um, I said, why don't they have any dialogue for her? Because it's all her father. And I feel like she's like, it almost feels like she's like mute. Like she doesn't have a conversation with him ever. And when he's talking to her about all the things that he has to do to uh, make a life for them and, and just, you know, create this better world for her. I wish that she had, I wish that there was a conversation and a dialogue between the two of them. And just so we could see some of her point of view as well as his, because we get to see a lot of the point of view of the little boy in the white upper class family, but we don't necessarily get to see so much of where she stands and how she feels about the situations that are unveiling about her life and where her and her father are at in in life at that point. Oh, oh. So we're at the point where Cole House wants justice because he encountered the racist squad again and they completely ruined his car first of all they were trying to make him pay a toll to even pass and so he got out and went to find the police they ruined his car he wanted justice because he was a free man and he you know is allowed to participate in the justice system as well as anyone else he doesn't get it and so of course he's like I'm sorry Sarah I can't marry you until like justice is served and so she wants to help him and goes to get help from the vice president Oh my gosh, this part in the musical literally took me and just threw me out the door. Like, it was awful. And this is the part where it's so prevalent, even in 2020, that this stuff is not over. 
just because we think it is. This stuff keeps happening. She goes to get help from the vice president, and someone shouts, she has a gun, and the police beat her to death. First of all, that moment is is just so like unexpected. Like I did I did not see it coming because I'm sitting here like that's Audrey McDonald. You can't kill her in the first act. She has to win a Tony. Like what are you doing? And then just the just the fact of the matter that it's 2020 and we had an incident that literally like paralleled this exact moment that is claiming to have happened in 1906. Over a hundred years later, people, that's sick. That is just disgusting to me that we even had we we are even having that issue. I said, I said, I'm gonna lose my mind. And I said, okay, but Audra comes back, right? Uh, Just a horrible, horrible moment in the show. I mean, not, not, not in the show. Like it it is a, it's a powerful moment in the show because of what it sparks. It sparks this social justice movement. And of course the, like the act one finale is just, we'll never get to heaven until we reach that day where we're all on an evil playing field and we equal justice for all. And um, they're obviously not there yet. And that was just a powerful act one finale. So now we get on to act two. I know that was all act one, like ridiculous. So much storyline, just in act one. The Houdini storyline and the storyline with like the historical figures, I don't really understand as much as to why they were in the show. Again, I've only seen it once and I don't know if I really grasped like everything that I should have. I tried to, um, I tried to take in as much as I could. But again, like I only saw it once and I was trying to just like remember all of the characters. So I kind of like blocked out storylines that I didn't necessarily like, didn't necessarily move along the plot too much to me. So the whole storyline with Houdini, I understand that he was a, he was an immigrant and like he was successful. And that was maybe like, you know, the the American dream idea that the other immigrants had coming into the, to the country. And so that's where that stemmed from. But I don't know, it just kind of went over my head. Oh, I said, it's funny how the racist squad turns on Willie the minute they're in trouble. It really shows that they're nothing but a bunch of cowards. And that's all they are. People who bully other people are really nothing but cowards when they no longer have power. And that's just the fact of the matter. Cole House goes on this huge, you know, violent tirade because he's angry and he wants justice and he's not getting it. Booker T. Washington deplores the actions of Cole House because what, everything that he's preaching is that we need to get here, there with our voices, not with our act, like not with violence. And so he goes off to Cole House demands section was such a great moment for the ensemble. I just think, again, it just really shows how the, the ensemble really makes the in the entire show, pulls together the atmosphere and the environment and everything. Um, I don't have as many notes for, I think I was just so drawn in at this point in the musical that I, I like, <laughs> I took a break from taking notes because I just needed to watch. But I do remember like that was such a powerful moment in the show. And then of course, when the younger brother is standing up for Cole House and calling out father for his incompetence with the social injustices that are happening in the world right now, because father is really incompetent and uh, oblivious as to the things that are going on in society right now, because he is so in his upper class white male vendetta that he can't even comprehend as um, the social injustices that are happening in the world around him. Oh, what a game was such an interesting moment because I wrote, it's funny how the white man can be distracted from real issues with a game of baseball. He can say, 
oh no, we're not even going to focus on this. I'll go take you to a baseball game. I just thought that that was, it was just very telling of what he would go through to distract himself from the real issues that are going on in the world and to distract his son. And mother was like, no, you're not going to go to a baseball game. Are you crazy? Like all this stuff is happening right now. And he's like, oh no, no, no. We're just going to brush it off our shoulders and let's go to a baseball game and forget anything ever happened. White versus black, baseball versus protest, basically what was happening. Very telling of um, the mindsets of people back then, which is really, really sad. Um, and then we move on and Tate is a cameraman now because he sold his moving images book um, way back in act one. And now he has moved up and achieved um, this idea of the American dream. He's successful, he has money, he has um, created a better life for his daughter. And he is living large since we last saw him. <laughs> and I wrote down the flirting that is happening between him and mother right now. I mean, it was very obvious, like there was something going on between the two of them in that scene. And I didn't know what was going to happen because I was like, is, is she going to leave father? Like, what's what's going to go on? Like, quite obvious that they were going to eventually get together. And I love that, again, like it just showed the two children we're running off and becoming best friends in this, you know, time of turmoil and uh, social injustice. And they just, they could, they were able to just turn a blind eye and not focus on what your background is, what the color of your skin is. They were, they, they, they were just friends. I just wrote the merging of the two different cultures just proves with the children that they're, they're, they are the future and they're, they're, they're the ones that are going to change the world. I think that's still true of today. Okay, I know I've skipped a couple of things, but I want to talk about back to before. What a powerful moment for Mother. I mean, just everything about the song is everything I want in an 11 o'clock number. It is emotional. It's driven by vulnerability. It's driven by growth. And there are no high Fs at being screlted in my face at the end of it. It is simply like there's a, it's a powerful belt, but it's driven by emotion and not by vocal absurdity. You know what I'm saying? This song just shows everything that she's been through in the show. And she's like, I can't go back to before because I refuse to go back to being the complacent wife and just following you and your every desire. And I... I'm going to move forward with my life, making my own decisions and being my own person and not letting you define the woman that I become. And what a strong, powerful message to all females out there. Like you are your own person. You are beautifully yourself and you don't need to be defined by anyone in your life, let alone a man. That's just my ideas on the matter of fact anyway but I mean such a great song this is the the powerhouse of the show obviously this is the song that I feel like uh, this and your daddy's son are the songs that I feel like people come out of the show with the most and they're they're the most popular within the show and um it's just such a great this is what I want out of an 11 o'clock number take notes legally blonde take notes this is it um, and then, of course, we get to the final scene with Cole House and father and younger brother. He, he comes to the conclusion that violence cannot solve social injustice. And he sings this beautiful song called Make Them Hear You. And it's just all about 
use your voice, make the people hear you. Because if you fight with violence, they're just going to bring violence back to you and you're not going to get anywhere. But if you make people listen and you get get people on your side with your voice, that's going to make much more of an impact than any type of violent act is going to make. Yeah, your voice is just so much more powerful in, in moments like that. And then, of course, like the epilogue, like the big finale, um, Mother and Tate are together. Their children are, you know, have become brother and sister. And then we have the little boy. He comes out and running and like they sing the Wheel of a Dream reprise basically in the epilogue. And it's just it's so amazing to watch because it's not the dream that they had originally envisioned, but it's the dream that they were able to give their son in the only way that they knew possible. I mean, both of them end up dying at the end of the show and it's heartbreaking, but just to see like the merging of the three um, groups of, of people that we had at the beginning of the show, how they were very standoffish and, would not veer from the path of their individual groups are now all three in one section, in one family together. And it's just, what what an ending. An absolutely incredible show. I have no complaints. I think there, are there a couple of plot holes? Maybe, yeah, sure, whatever, I don't care. This show is just, again, I just really think that we need a revival. Whenever Broadway decides that it wants to come back, let's get on a, a 2021 ragtime, 2022 ragtime revival. I would love it. I'd love to see it. Okay, since I am not doing a favorite part, least favorite part, because I've pretty much kind of already talked about that as I was going along, I have chosen a favorite character and a least favorite character. So my favorite character is Mother because of the growth that we see her go through from song number one to the epilogue, just the journey of her character. I Last week, I think I said that Elle Woods as a character had one of the biggest character developments throughout a show, but I would like to say that I think that mother in Ragtime probably has the biggest character development in, of a show that I've ever seen. I mean, just going from, you go from like, a to B, like just completely like opposite. She's a different person by the end of the show. There's just no similarity from what she ends the show as to what she began the show as. And I just think that that is really great. And the way that she was able to, you know, change herself and she didn't really need anyone's help to, she she decided for herself that she was going to change. She didn't need someone to tell her to change. She decided for herself. And that's, I just love seeing that in a character. My least favorite character would have to be Father. I think he's very one-dimensional. I don't think I saw a lot of growth in him. I mean, he has like kind of a moment at the end where he maybe steps up to the plate and becomes helpful, but he as a character just, like I feel like I could care less about his character. And if that's how I'm feeling about a character, then the he wasn't developed well enough. And I don't know, I just, I just don't, I just don't care for him. And with that, I am done talking about the show, guys. So let's talk about my rating and my dream cast. And then let's, you know, wrap this this thing up. Okay, I'm going to give this show 9 out of 10 Emma Golden protests. That is what I'm going to give it. I mean, it's, it's almost a completely flawless show in my mind. 
and I can't believe that it took me 23 years to sit down and watch it. I don't even think that I knew. I mean, I knew how important this musical was in the musical history canon. I knew like what it meant to musical theater and the Broadway community and the world. Like I knew all of the things that surrounded it, but I just never took the time to sit down and find a bootleg or do any research on it. I don't know why, but I am so glad that this podcast, something that I never thought I'd even be doing, has forced me to sit down and find new musicals that I love and new obsessions. And I just think that that is such a, such a treat. So nine out of 10 Emma Golden protests, just such a great musical. So let's talk about my dream cast. All right, I'm just going to get into it. Um, Mother, I'd really like to see Jesse Mueller play this role. I don't know why. Jesse Mueller just has this like motherly presence to me. I did see her in Waitress. So maybe that is why but um, I just think that she would be she would have the right presence for this role. I also wrote down Judy Kuhn, but I don't know if I like that as much as, um, as I don't I don't know if I want to see her as much as I want to see Jesse Mueller. Father, I didn't cast. It's the same situation with the baker. I just feel like I don't have like these, these like very like, not bland, but um, typical male roles. I just don't have someone that I'd like to see play this. So I left it up for interpretation. So you go ahead and cast it. And then you let me know who you would like to see as father in Ragtime. Younger brother. I said Gavin Creel, because I feel like when I was watching the show, I I saw his character and it just reminded me of him. I don't know why. Um, I think he he would be great. He has that like right persona, I think, to play younger brother. And I, I think he'd be great. Sarah, I had the hardest time thinking of someone to play this role because I'm telling you, I am telling you, after you watch Audra McDonald play a role, you simply do not want to see someone else play it. However, I have found the one person that I would kill to see play this role. It is Cynthia Erivo. Oh, seeing her is, is her name, character's name Celia in The Color Purple? Literally breathtaking performance. Um, she would absolutely kill this role. And I think that she would win another Tony in the revival. So revival 2022 of Ragtime, Cynthia Ravio as Sarah, please and thank you. Cole House is, I did not realize at first that Brian Stokes Mitchell played this role in the original, like that I was literally watching him. Because when he came on stage, I, I, I was thinking of like Dreamcast, like as I was watching it, and I was like, this guy kind of reminds me of Brian Stokes Mitchell. He's probably too old to play him now. But I don't know why, but he's just really reminding me of him. Duh, Kelsey, because you're literally watching Brian Stokes Mitchell play this role right now. Now, in my defense, the faces were very fuzzy. This bootleg was taken in 1998. So the camera quality was not the best. And it was a bootleg. Not that I endorse watching bootlegs on YouTube. But I mean, if they're there, they're there. So anyway, um, but I was like, he is Brian Stokes Mitchell. That's why he's reminding you of him. But I decided that I'd like, I'd really like to see Corbin Blue play this role. Um, I saw him in both Holiday Inn and in Kiss Me Kate as of recent. And this is just the exact, I mean, this is the exact role I want to see him in. The whole uh, Getting Ready Rag song is just very his energy. And I think he'd also uh, bring a great forceful dynamic into the later parts of Cole House's character as well. So I'd like to see him play it. Tata, I went with Raul Esparza. 
I, I don't know why. I couldn't really think of anyone else to play the role. I have a hard time casting him as well. Um, but I, I don't know if that's like my best casting, but I think that he'd, he'd bring a really cool interpretation to the role. And then I, the last character, I didn't decide to cast all the characters because some of them were just, you know, a little bit too minor for me to cast. But um, as a little boy, I cast, uh, oh gosh, I hope I say his name right, Luca Padav- Padavan, I think is how you say his name. Um, he was in School of Rock. He's been in, he's been in so much stuff. He is, um, if you, if you think of like young musical theater actor right now, you're probably thinking of him. Like he, he is just so talented and he, he's great. So I think he, he's really the only one I could have thought for to play the role. Um, well, that's my dream cast. And guys, I'm done talking about ragtime. I really want to do an episode where I have a guest on, I actually will spill this tea now. I'm going to have a guest next week. My roommate will be back and we are going to co-host this podcast together. And I hope that I can convince her to do more than one episode, but we'll see where life takes us. But it's very exciting. Um, I'm very excited to have a conversation with someone who is not myself for an hour. Um, So that'll bring like a new perspective. And Um, I want to continue to do that more down the line of this podcast. I'd love to have guests on so that I can have an open conversation with them and get their opinions. And it can be more of a conversation about the musical rather than me just giving, you know, my opinions and what I think about the plot and everything. So I'm really excited for that. But going back, I really just want to have a conversation about this musical in specific with some with someone who else who isn't myself. Um, cause I think it's a really important musical to discuss and, um, especially with like all of the, the, the themes of things that are happening still today in this society and just talking about how things are relevant and how this musical is really important to see. And so I, I'm hoping that I get to do that at one point in the podcast. It might not be for a long, long, long time, but, um, just watch out for it when it does. So that's the musical of the week. And now we're going to get on to my favorite segment of the podcast, which is the game segment. I love my games. You all know this. And as you know, if you listened to last week's podcast, this is a part two from last week's game. So basically what I'm doing is I'm taking the approach of a Kiss, Mary Kill type of game, and I've renamed it as to Superfan, Buy a Ticket, or Pass. And I've taken a bunch of mainstream musicals, and I basically randomly drawing them out of a hat, and I am deciding which musical at the end is the ultimate super fan for myself. Um, I know that in my very second podcast, I declared what my favorite musical was based on a not so much similar game, but I, it's kind of a similar process, but there are a lot more musicals in the mix, and also my favorite musical changes every week. So I, I <laughs> you're going to get a new answer literally every time you ask me. So I'm excited. Let's go ahead and get on to that. And I will let you guys know what is in the running for this week. Okay, guys. So for this week, we have Spring Awakening, Wicked, Six, Waitress, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Newsies, Hadestown, Hamilton, Into the Woods, Legally Blonde, Something Rotten, Beetlejuice, The Lion King, Carrie, Anything Goes, Carousel, Heathers, and The Color Purple. And so basically all of these musicals 
were taken from last week, and they are the musicals that either won a super fan or a buy a ticket. And all the musicals that got a pass were eliminated from the competition. Okay, so I have Spring Awakening, Legally Blonde, and The Color Purple. Ooh, okay. So I'm going to super fan over Spring Awakening. I'm going to buy a ticket to The Color Purple, and I'm going to pass on Legally Blonde. And that's the way this goes, guys. Like, I just have to make quick decisions, and some of these are going to be really hard, I can tell. But here we go. Okay, next we have Wicked, Beetlejuice, and Carrie. Ooh, okay, so I'm going to super fan over Wicked. I'm going to buy a ticket to Beetlejuice, and I'm going to pass on Carrie. I love Carrie, but has to go. Okay, next. We have six, we have Into the Woods, and we have Something Rotten. Okay, I'm gonna super fan over six. I'm gonna buy a ticket to Into the Woods, and I'm gonna pass on Something Rotten. Next, we have Waitress, Anything Goes, uh-oh, and Carousel. Okay, so this one was a little bit easier. I thought I was gonna have an issue with Waitress and Anything Goes, but I'm going to super fan over Anything Goes. I'm gonna buy a ticket to Waitress, and I'm going to pass on Carousel. Okay, next. I have Thoroughly Modern Millie, Hamilton, and Heathers. Ooh, okay. I'm going to super fan over Hamilton. I'm going to buy a ticket to Heathers. And I'm going to pass on Thoroughly Modern Millie. Oh, no. Okay, goodbye. And this is the last round. Okay, so we have Town, Newsies, and The Lion King. Okay, I feel like I'm about to give some um, justice to ragtime here. So I'm going to super fan over Newsies. I'm going to buy a ticket to Town, And I'm going to pass on The Lion King. All right. Well, that was a lot faster than I thought it was going to go. So I'm going to do one more round. And I feel like if I do this round, then next week we will have the part three and will be the final conclusion. So give me one second to just form my thoughts. Okay, everyone. Everything is back in the hats. The interesting thing about this competition is that each musical comes up against a new musical each time. So it really is like it's just luck of the draw and things that may I might have super fanned over the last round. I might pass on this round because it doesn't come up to par towards like these other musicals that maybe I both maybe three of them are super fans. So that's the interesting thing about this competition. Okay, so let's just get into it. <clears throat> Spring Awakening, Newsies, and Into the Woods. Oh gosh, see, see, it's hard. Okay, I'm gonna super fan over Newsies. I'm gonna buy a ticket to Spring Awakening and I'm gonna pass on Into the Woods. Oh, this is hard. Next week is gonna be literally brutal. Okay, now we have Wicked, Hamilton, Oh, no, and anything goes. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, okay. Ah, I'm gonna super fan over Hamilton. I'm, I, I have to. I'm gonna buy a ticket to Wicked, and I'm gonna pass on anything goes. Ugh, that's so hard. It's because the musicals are so different in their own, they're all good in their own ways. Ugh, but regardless, okay. <clears throat> Six. Color Purple, and Heathers. Okay, well, I'm going to super fan over six. I'm going to buy a ticket to the Color Purple, and I'm going to pass on Heathers. Oh, sorry. Okay, 
And this is the last round. Okay, Waitress, Beetlejuice, and Hades Town. Okay, I'm gonna. This one's this one's okay. I'm okay with this. I'm gonna super fan over Waitress. I'm going to buy a ticket to Hades Town, and I'm going to pass on Beetlejuice. So these are the six musicals that will be in the semi-final round next week: Spring Awakening, Newsies, Wicked, Hamilton, Six, The Color Purple. Waitress, and Hadestown. I said six. I meant eight. There are eight musicals in the semifinal round. Next week, yeah, that's going to be tough. I think I might, for next round, since there's eight, I'm going to have to do two at a time, and one's going to have to go. So that's going to be really, really hard. All right, that is the game of the week. And next week, we'll, we will have an answer as to what my super fan musical of the mainstream musicals is. And finally, the last segment of this podcast, you guys know we are here. I am here to give you all of the advice that I have gained in the past four years of college over a lifetime of theater and participating in the performing arts. So this week's advice column is to be kind to everyone. This is not just a life lesson that we should be learning in theater. This is a life lesson that everyone should learn and apply all throughout life. Guys, life is going to be so much easier if you are just a kind, generous human being. Treat everyone the way that you want to be treated. And especially, here's where it comes into play with theater. No one wants to work with someone who is intolerable and doesn't get along with other people and doesn't do anything but sit around and gossip about people all day. That is just not who people want to spend eight shows a week with and who producers want to spend all of their money on. They, you have to be workable and you have to be tolerable in a workplace. And that's not just theater, that's, that's all of life. So this is short and sweet advice, but stay out of drama, stay away from situations that could cause you to, you know, be unkind to someone. And if you are in a situation where someone else is trying to drag you in to their evil plot of, you know, terrorizing someone, kindly step away, say, I cannot participate in what you are asking me to participate in, and I'm going to go do my own thing. There is no shame in doing that. I'm telling you, the the most workable actors out there right now are the ones who are tolerable and the people who are kind to everyone around them. And they get work over and over and over again because people love putting on shows with them because they know that they will bring this energy to the cast that will just create such a great environment. Because no one, I mean, no one wants to go to a workplace where you have someone who is intolerable because it just doesn't make things fun and enjoyable. And that's the same thing when people are casting shows. They're spending, first of all, they're spending so much money on you. And second of all, they're spending so much time with you that you have to be tolerable and you have to be someone who is willing to work with other people and be kind to other people in the workplace. So from your cool Aunt Kelsey... Just be nice to people and treat other people the way that you would want to be treated. And just, you know, don't just live your life like that. That's like the MO for all of life. 
Okay, guys, that's the end of this podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find this podcast wherever you're listening to it now, which is Spotify or Apple Podcasts, which is that little purple podcast app that comes on your iPhone. I feel like I have to plug that every single time because people are like, what is the podcast app? Yeah, it's there. It's already installed on your iPhone. Um, You can find me personally on Instagram at underscore Kelsey McFall underscore or on TikTok at KelseyMC137. I've been making some great quality TikToks lately, so go check it out. And also, if you're coming from the podcast and you do go follow me on those social medias, DM me and let me know because I'd love to see if people are actually, you know, finding me through this podcast. That would be great to know. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you guys next week. Bye!